Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. So it is just me. Carol, a nationally known gerontologist, is involved today in a uh, uh, major national conference and uh, is unable to be with us. But uh, we will fill her in. And this is a topic that is near and dear to her heart as well. The topic is binge eating, eating disorders among caregivers and increasingly, apparently, older people as well. And we found an expert on this topic, Susan Mangdon, licensed psychologist, 31 years experience treating all types of eating disorders, both inpatient and outpatient settings. She earned her BA and MBA from the University of Texas at Austin and her MA and PhD from Boston College. She's a certified eating disorder specialist supervisor, and we're delighted to have her on board. Susan, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Let's do the 411 on eating disorders uh, uh, to begin with. What are they and, and who do they affect? Eating disorders affect um, all types of people. There are four major eating disorders, uh, and people don't know about all of them, so thank you for asking. Uh, people know mostly about the eating disorder that is anorexia, which is the underweight, uh, more emaciated-looking person not sustaining uh, an eating pattern of eating enough calories uh, for their energy outtake. Um, then there's uh, bulimia, which is a binge eating uh, disorder followed by a compensatory behavior such as overexercise, fasting, or vomiting, um, which keeps someone at a normalish uh, body uh, appearance and type and weight. Uh, then there's the binge eating disorder, which is what we're going to be talking about today which is episodes of binge eating uh, that are not followed by a compensatory behavior so that someone ends up gaining weight from their binge eating. And along with, um, along with that, I can talk more about that in, in a minute. Um, and then the last uh, or the fourth eating disorder type that, that is um, the one that um, we address mostly in centers like, uh, like mine is uh, ARFID, which is an avoidant restrictive feeding intake disorder, which has the under-eating component of anorexia, yet none of the body image disturbance of the other eating disorders. See, I wasn't aware of that one either and have, uh, over the years, done a lot of reading in this area. So tell me, what is that again? ARFID? It's ARFID. That's what we uh, call it. Uh, and it's avoidant and restrictive food intake disorder. And it is, it's an under-eating component, but usually based on some kind of sensory issue with the person um, that is either a texture or a smell or uh, the taste of the food. So, therefore, they avoid eating the food. Uh. That's where it's called avoidant, and it leads to weight loss and impairment and, and function. Now, you said we see. I know you're the founder of Esperanza Eating Disorders Center uh, based yeah. on both partial hospitalizations, and intensive outpatient care uh, for folks. Right. You treat all types of eating disorders. Uh, patients 
as young as 13 on up. Right, and as old are, uh, we have several people in their 70s that we're, that we're following. So talk to me a bit about that, because we are now an aging uh, society. Uh, more people 65 and over than 18 and under, and that population keeps growing gangbusters. The older population, uh, I guess it's not a surprise that they would bring with them uh, some of the issues that uh, that population has faced, eating disorders being one. Absolutely. Some of the people that we see that are uh, 50 plus are uh, have had an eating disorder for their entire life and either never really got uh, received adequate treatment to really recover from their eating disorder or they have had other life events that have triggered the eating disorder behaviors again. And what the eating disorder feel, what we feel about the eating disorders, this is the we call it the you know the good girl and the good guy type of disorder because you can engage in eating disorder behavior and still be functional in your in your work in your in your life in your school uh, environment. So a lot of people um, that are triggered later in life with losses or the stress of COVID um, and and all the changes that have happened during this time isolation, we've seen an increase in eating disorder behaviors. And as you take a look at. Uh you know, some of the celebrities over the years who have been identified with an eating disorder, uh, occasionally that at least helps get uh, the word out, but it doesn't seem to have much effect. Karen Carpenter uh, would be one. Uh, Princess Diana would be another that comes to mind. People feel sorry for them. People identify with what they're doing, but people don't say, oh, you know, I'm going to change my life because of them, or do they? No, I agree with you. I think they look at it, oh, that's just someone with, uh, you know, a lot of privilege that I can't relate to. Uh, so they so they don't relate to it very much. Uh, you know, in San Antonio, we have really a large number of people that have binge eating disorder, uh, and it is the most prevalent of the eating disorders, and yet people don't recognize it. And so they don't say, oh, gee, I have an eating disorder. They just think, uh, oh, I overeat at night or I overeat later in the day or, you know, heck, I'm not eating lunch, so I don't have an eating disorder. And, uh, you know, certainly I don't have binge eating disorder. So it's not recognized. She's Dr. Susan Mangdon. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking about eating disorders. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. Uh, Susan is the founder and operates Esperanza Eating Disorders Center well, they deal with a variety of eating disorders. A patient's 13, and, and, and I know I've heard of uh, you know, folks even younger who have struggled with eating disorders. Yes, we have um, had several people come in this year that because we don't work with uh, people younger than 13, we've had to send off to another city um, or state uh, to another program. But we had a, a young uh, a wonderful young Hispanic girl that was 10 that was uh, really told by her uh, treatment team of medical professionals that she needed to lose a little weight. And after a weight loss of 50 pounds, they, you know, called us in crisis with a 10-year-old who should never, ever be recommended to go on a diet. So we, we uh, with our diet culture and our fear of diabetes and our fear of uh, someone being unhealthy, we are just way too uh, often recommending that the young go on diets, and often those people 
the young and, you know, and, and all of us who have that natural genetic makeup will develop an eating disorder when they go on a restricted diet like that. And, and saying to someone, and I suspect we've all been guilty of it, either directly or indirectly, maybe saying to each other, gee, look at that young girl across the room. You know, she may be 10 or 12 years old. She needs to lose weight or she will have a problem for the rest of her life. And then you want to dive in with an intervention, right? Right. And we truly think that that, uh, we're doing the right thing. So I I know it's all out of love and care that parents parents often do the same thing. Uh, Loved ones, you know, spouses will say the same thing. You know, if, uh, you know, oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, lose some weight so you don't become diabetic. You know, people are giving each other that message all the time, and unfortunately then they just don't know how to change their lifestyle so that they don't develop an eating disorder. And in the uh, uh, situations that you've been involved in at Esperanza in business since 2019, you've been in the field a whole lot longer than that, of course. Uh, talk to me about caregivers because – uh, this program, Caregiver SOS on Air, uh, does target caregivers and their loved ones and extended families. And we know caregivers in many cases are under enormous stress. Can stress play a role in triggering an eating disorder? Absolutely. Uh, the caregiver has several things that um, influence, I believe, uh, the development of an eating disorder. Uh, one is the work stress, the work lifestyle as well, um, usually being alone, not having time for, uh, you know, lunch, uh, not having time for uh, maybe exercise, even, uh, you know, drinking enough you know, water during the day, uh, needing to drink more caffeinated products. They work, in, they work alone uh, a lot of times. Um, and the stress of... Um, the stress hormone cortisol is just alive and well in caregivers because they're working with a declining health and cognitive function um, functioning of their client, and that creates a tremendous amount of stress. And then the COVID uh, situation uh, pandemic that we're all faced with, there's added stress because, uh, you know, they don't want to give their uh, the person that they're taking care of. They don't want to infect them. They're more isolated, um, and stress can influence the course of psychological conditions. So when someone has a great deal of stress and they are a, uh, you know, a highly functioning person, you're going to see a decrease in self-care. You're going to see a decrease in moving, uh, you know, exercise, uh, joyful movement, and you're going to see possibly a, uh, an increase in their eating. And what, and what, sets up someone for binge eating disorder is not eating enough during the day, so under eating breakfast and lunch, maybe because they're at work and they don't get a work break, um, and then uh, being overly hungry by the time they get home so that they uh, eat uh, food that is rapidly accessible, uh, food that is uh, satisfying and usually high fat uh, high carb, nurturing, uh, delicious tasting foods, and and they're not cooking. So all of that can then set you up for you know being mad at yourself, like oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that again. And then the feelings of guilt, remorse, and fear of weight gain are uh, part of the symptoms of binge eating disorder. But actually, just by being mad at yourself, it sets you up all over again because the next day you start off by saying. 
I'm going to diet and not eat. I am not, you know, no. I, if I skip lunch, uh, I think that's going to help me and really skipping meals just backfires because it slows your metabolism. And All right. You now, hold that thought. Hungry. We're going to come okay. right back to you because <laughs> I want to find out. Uh, the stereotype, of course, is uh, someone sitting in front of a refrigerator, more often than not, portrayed as a woman who is binge eating on gallons and gallons of ice cream. So we're going to find out from the expert, Dr. Susan Mangden, whether ice cream is the binge eater's food of choice. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. As you listen to that, hello, friend, that friend could be a dish of ice cream, a bowl of spaghetti. It could be what food does for you in filling that hole uh, that leads sometimes to eating disorders. I'm Ron Aaron. Dr. Susan Mangden is with us on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline. Carol Zernil, our co-host on special assignment today. Susan has 31 years experience treating all types of eating disorders, inpatient, outpatient, you name it. And she's got the credentials and the degrees to give her the background to do that. And Susan, I asked you before we went on the air, so I'm privy to the answer to this question. Uh, But the stereotype often portrayed in films, television, radio, TV, you name it, the, the binge food of choice is ice cream. But you said to me, no, it's not. No, it's not. And that is really not how somebody binges. Often people are binging sitting in front of the TV. They're distracted, and they're not paying any attention to what actually is uh, that they're eating. And so the binge foods that I hear the most about are um, something that they can take out of a container or package like ice cream, but usually it's more like chips or uh, some kind of um, uh, dinner product that they've bought, like a hamburger or pizza um, you know, love San Antonio, but, you know, fast food, Mexican food, things like that. It's, it is, these foods are not bad foods. It's that these foods are easy to eat and consume mindlessly. See that Orville Redenbacher brings us popcorn in a microwave. Right. Same, same idea. And foods like that. as you say, you, you, and I'm thinking of sitting on a couch eating that way from time to time. You do it mindlessly. You don't realize all of a sudden you're scraping the bottom of that bowl. Absolutely. And that's why one of the treatment approaches uses mindfulness to make someone aware of what they're doing and what they're eating. Because often the binge is so mindless. Wow. Now, one of the other things you've done is uh, dealing with folks in the military uh, who may struggle with eating disorders, and I can't imagine a more stressful job, some of those jobs in the military. Anyone who comes to mind as you think about what you've been doing in that field? 
Yes, uh, there I've worked with uh, many active duty soldiers that are nurses or uh, physicians, and that's added stress in their job as a soldier and a doctor, a soldier and a nurse. And there's tremendous pressure in the military to be fit for duty, which is, uh, you know, a certain body type and a certain weight. And when someone's stressed, goes on a diet, there is a, a restrictive diet, uh, or starts to engage in behaviors like laxative use or over-exercise or purging, uh, other purging types of behaviors, it sets you up for an, uh, the development of an eating disorder. So actually, eating disorders in the military have a, are a higher percentage than in the general population. Seriously? Yes. Huh. And those certainly would include uh, uh, trying to get rid of that food, so bulimia uh, would be one. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Yes. Right. So that's and a real a challenge. Of, and you're right, a lot of stress in that job, just like for caregivers. There's so much stress right now, uh, an added stress, and they're seeing an increase in binge eating across the country because it, if you think about it, you know, chewing a, a lot of food and then the food going into your, you know, your stomach it calms you down. It naturally makes you uh, more, um, you know, sedated. It releases all the, you know, the chemicals and the hormones that give you that sense of well-being because you're eating. So you naturally um, calm yourself down by eating and eating, you know, warm foods uh, and and yummy, uh, you know, uh, foods that release um, great hormones in your body. See, I engaged, uh, not intentionally, but uh, in the stereotype when we began uh, talking about this in, in citing young girls. It turns out uh, eating disorders cover the gamut from young to old to male to female. Absolutely. It, and, and all uh, socioeconomic status uh, people, too. It's not just the wealthy privileged. Where do you... and because there's a whole study on, on food insecurity here at our San Antonio Food Bank uh, that shows that, you know, the more food insecure you are, uh, which means you're worried about where your next meal is coming from, uh, the greater chance you have of having binge eating disorder. To, to try to fill that hole for the yes. days you won't have food. Right. Wow. Absolutely. That's pretty scary. Now, as you think about uh, the population uh, who have eating disorders some who may be listening to us right now. Uh, where do they go for help, or can you do it yourself? Well, you can go for help several different places. The, the number one uh, treatment approach that has been found to lead to the highest abstinence rate of the binge eating is called dialectical behavior therapy. And you can get dialectical behavior therapy out of workbooks or out of uh, groups or out of uh, different centers here in town teach dialectical behavior therapy as well. And that has the mindfulness component that I was talking about to where it makes you aware of what you're thinking and the urges to overeat and then gives you skills which are healthy coping behaviors to help you do something else instead of binge eating. And it's got self-care components, um, joyful movement components, emotion regulation components, uh, which helps with the uh, anxiety and stress. So that's what somebody can do to um, to really look at, find a program with the dialectical behavior therapy in it, and uh, or books or 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 outpatient groups. 
That's good advice. And if folks uh, wanted to uh, talk with you at the Esperanza Eating Center, you're available as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we're here for our community. That's why we started our center. Eating disorder is something that uh, has affected your life. Well, possibly. Um, I I'm a woman, so I certainly understand body image concerns and negative body image. And uh, when I went to school in Boston, I just found that I loved the person who had an eating disorder. I just really enjoyed working with them. So I specialized in that area uh, when I was working in an inpatient facility up in Boston. I have a friend here in San Antonio who I used to work with uh, in the broadcast industry, and uh, she used to say what I think you hear a lot of people say, men and women, you know, you can never be too thin. (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) I was hoping you would say that. If you're too thin, it is amazing what doesn't work in your body, and including cognitive function. So, uh, you know, you hear that as you age as well. Don't get too thin. And still some people that have the anorexia or anorexic tendencies as they're aging really have to watch that because the, the older you are, if you do not have uh, your cognitive ability, you just lead to decline so much faster. And you can get taken advantage of. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what what is rewarding for you to work in this field? Because you also see uh, some really depressed folks uh, who may not be successful in uh, overcoming that eating disorder. Or it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. I mean, you could be going out there, uh, uh, sitting in a back room somewhere, $150, $200, $300 an hour, trying to get someone to quit smoking. Right. I can tell you what... what makes this place work is that about a third of our uh, staff have recovered from eating disorders. And we also have recovery advocates that come and talk to our current clients. There's so much hope currently in the eating disorder field for recovery because of the development of the therapies that are so successful. You know, when I first started back in, I think it was 87, yes, back in 87, there really wasn't that much hope. There wasn't that much knowledge about what to do and how to help someone with an eating disorder. But that has drastically changed through the the years. And so if somebody actually engages in treatment and, um, you know, there is such high success for binge eating. There is high success for uh, bulimia. And for ARFA, they are doing, they're doing so much research right now for the last four years on, on ARFA uh, so that there's more success in that area. There's been a new type of treatment that's developed for anorexia, and that's giving hope for recovery from anorexia. So this field is rapidly uh, becoming more hopeful and more successful uh, unlike the old days where it was like, oh, if you have an eating disorder, you know, you can't do anything about it, but just kind of survive with it. What's interesting, you still see on television, and they're all over TV now, and I think it's because, like many, I've put on the COVID-20. Freshmen in college yes. are the COVID, you know, the freshman 10. I'm at least the COVID-20, 30, 40, whatever. And, and yes. you see ad after ad now uh, for... Jenny Craig meal preparation. Weight Watchers is doing a major ad campaign. Uh, and, and yet we also know over long run, diets don't work. No, diets really don't work. And you end up gaining more weight 
back than what you lost. And even when you go for the surgeries to help with weight loss, there's such a high percentage of people that gain it all back, and it's so devastating to them. And the hope is if they learn one of these therapies, they can stop the binge eating. They can stop the overeating. It's really successful. So, um, yes, you can. The, the natural, what we saw when COVID first started, you're absolutely right. People have gained weight because they were more sedentary. They were in their homes, right. around food, sedentary. So now we see that people have, uh, you know, they were looking on their Internet and every diet in the world was, you know, uh, reaching out to them. And truly, a diet lasts maybe six weeks before people just can't do it anymore and they start gaining weight back. And also, it just shuts down your metabolism. All right. Do me a so. favor because we are flat out of time. Give us your oh, phone okay. number for folks who want to get a hold okay. of you at the Esperanza Eating Disorder Center. Great. It is 210-253-9763. 210-253-9763. Susan, thank you. You've been a great guest. Thank you so much. I certainly enjoyed it. You thank take you care. so much. Susan Mangdon, who is a licensed psychologist, a Ph.D., and can help you with an eating disorder. I'm Ron Aaron for Carol Zorni. I'll talk with you soon right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.